When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take the issues of the day and use what we are reading in Holy Scripture and what we're seeing and feeling to answer some of those bigger questions. The big questions in life, I don't think ever go away. What am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the point? Um, if you have any awareness of human suffering or all the things that are happening, how slow people are to forgive and heal and how slow we are to make changes in our world to help people flourish. When you face all that, when I face all that, it can be really discouraging. And so whenever that happens, I try to go into stories of people. For some reason, that always helps me. Stories can save us. A story doesn't have to have a real point because a story has a power of its own that can speak to whatever's going on unexpectedly. So as I tell the way this story speaks to me, I hope you can sort of figure out for yourself how it speaks to you. We know so little about tween Jesus. Tween Jesus gets one story. We know about baby Jesus. We know about grown man Jesus. I assume we all agree that a 30-year-old man is grown doesn't always seem so, at least when I was that age, many years ago. Between Jesus is here. And he, he enters our story in this festival. Jesus' parents go to the festival every three or three times a year. They go to Jerusalem. At least they're going for Passover. That was sort of the biggest moment when you go to Jerusalem, but there are other times as well. But they're going to Jerusalem for Passover. Many of the Psalms that we have in the Psalter, in the Psalm book, are about this pilgrimage that people would take a couple times a year up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is up on a hill, so you go up to Jerusalem in every language. Uh, kind of like we go down to Florida or down to Corpus Christi, down to Galveston from here. Um, same kind of idea, although even if you're coming from the south, you go up to Jerusalem. And like really kids of any time, even our time in some circumstances, the kids are all together. Like they're just one big mess of kids, a big mess of like preteen kids there. Um which tells me something about culture at that time. And I heard this so much as a younger person. I don't hear it so much anymore about how how stuffy everybody was in the ancient world or in the Bible world or the world of Jesus. How, you know, everybody was like marrying young and, you know, being grownups at age 12 and having to do stuff. And, and that's, there's certainly some truth to the fact that people in Jesus' world were expected 
to hit certain benchmarks maybe earlier than maybe people in America today. But like here we have a glimpse of his life as a 12 year old. <clears throat> and it's actually very much like, you know, if you went on a camping trip with a group of friends, this would happen today. The kids would all play together and you'd never see them and you'd wonder where they were. And this is what happens. They wonder where Jesus is after a couple days. The festival's over. They're about to go back. And the parents trek back with all the other parents. And they think the kid, his their kid, Jesus, is with the other kids and travelers. So they start searching with their relatives and friends. This is the the pilgrimage, you do it with your relatives and your friends. What a beautiful picture of the life of Jesus. Gone are the days of flying to Egypt for safety. But although Joseph and Mary could have had relatives in Egypt that they lived with, um, there were many Jewish people in Egypt at the time. And here they are going to Jerusalem with their relatives and friends. What a beautiful picture of family life. Um, this was the world Jesus lived in, a world that is not so different than ours when it comes to the way families interacted with each other. And when they didn't find him, they go back to Jerusalem. You can imagine each step of that journey being really, really hard and anxious. I have lost one child once. I won't say which one. And it was probably only a couple minutes at a very busy marathon registration. And he was about four. And I had two kids there and I had holding both of their hands. And then I had to sign a release waiver for the marathon, Seattle Marathon. And I let go of the younger one's hand since it was my right hand. I signed the paper, I looked down and he was gone. I immediately went to this, it was a big expo in a giant hotel lobby. And I went to the tents that that they had set up the camping ex exposition they were a bunch of little tents there like you could go in and look at and he had had an interest in them so i ran over to the tents but 10 20 feet away he wasn't around the tents and then i i went back to the registration table and did the thing that like i saw in movies where you just panic i kind of freaked out and i just said listen this is really scary I'm really scared. I lost my son. He was just here. I let go of his hand and he ran off. I don't know where he is. He could be anywhere. And I said, call the police, call the police right now and, and like seal the building. I, I, I tried to like ramp up my emotions to like show them that I was like really serious. And this poor little person that was working the desk there, very young person, I think it was staffed by teenagers, said, okay. And they like notified the, whoever was in charge and they notified the police and about, and I just started like looking with, you know, dragging my other son behind me, holding his hand, like with a vice grip, worried about losing him too. Um, and this had never happened before. My son had never run off. I'd never had a premonition that he would do this and I was terrified sheer terror surging through me well, all of a sudden someone runs up to me and says we found him we found him there's like thousands of people in this giant hotel ballroom 
ex you know convention center this cop is holding him police officer was standing out front of the hotel or in the lobby and he was running through the lobby to go out into the street of seattle streets of seattle uh and all he would say was i found an ice cream truck there was an ice cream truck or an ice cream stand or ice cream or something like that and i hugged him so hard i was so relieved um just so relieved and, and i know he's younger than jesus was at this moment but that thought of each step as mary and joseph go back that's love that's parental love but it's parental love is is tied up with so much fear there's so much fear in parental love, fear that you're going to screw up, fear that you're going to mess up, something bad's going to happen. Bad things do happen. And so they march back to Jerusalem, briskly walking. Who knows what that was like? They get there. They search for him for three days. Three days they're searching. I mean, I, I can't imagine what they did during these three days. And there he is. They find him in the temple. Like, no one thought this was a big deal, so that, like, word didn't get around. Who's this kid in the temple? Find his parents. He's literally there in the temple, which tells us something about the temple of that day. It was a place of learning and inquiry. It wasn't just a place of worship and sacrifice, but a place of study and learning. And here they are, these teachers, and he's listening to them and asking them questions. He's not teaching them. He's not bossing them around or anything. He is learning. This is what Jesus did when he was here on this planet. He learned. And they, the teachers, were astonished and amazed at his understanding. Of course, his parents were astonished too. And Mary says to Jesus, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. I mean, that's like every parent. We're all in that boat. We have been searching for you in great anxiety. And obviously, he's fine. He's just sitting there. Why were you searching for me, he says. Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Didn't run off anymore. Didn't go off and study unannounced. And again, Mary treasures these things in her heart. Jesus increases in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So Mary ponders these things in her heart and she remembers them. And Luke, where we find the story, the only one to record the story, is probably, by our best guess, an account of Mary. Mary's account of Jesus' life because of the material related to his birth, Mary's song, so many other details in the book point to Mary as a major source for the material in the Gospel of Luke, especially this story, because man, you can feel it. Where, why have you treated us like this? Um, isn't this the parental message for the ages? What are you doing to me? <laughs> and the kid's just like, I'm living, I'm living my life. What are you doing to me? This is what parents always want to know. Why are you doing this to me? Literally the, this hurts me more than it hurts you. So we see a couple things about Jesus in this story, at least I do. One is that, you know, trying to find your identity in life is not easy. Jesus is forming his identity. Eric Erickson talked about the identity crisis. He coined that term. And 
adolescents sort of put a mirror up around them, mirrors, and they reflect their identity back to see what it is. They try on different outfits, different hair colors, different things to try to see what people see in them, their reflection. So when you see a young person, a tween, a teenager, anybody younger than you, they are doing this identity search. They are, they are mirroring. They are waiting for you to be the mirror for them. So you must act appropriately when they are putting the, holding you up as the mirror. Love is always the answer. Love is always the answer to ponder them in your hearts because they, like Jesus, are sorting these things out. It is a process. Jesus' life shows us that he grew. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in years. He grew in these things. It was a long, slow process. It wasn't quick, and our kids aren't going to get it quick, and the young people around us aren't going to get it very quickly. They're going to learn wisdom through time and through hardship and through sacrifice and through misunderstandings where grown-ups are gracious to them. They're going to learn these things that way, through love, because love is always the answer. And this is who offers redemption to the world, this little person, this tween Jesus. So maybe if you're in a bit of an identity crisis, asking yourself, what should I be doing with my life? And maybe you're 58, 38, 28, 22, 12, 10. I don't think I have a lot of younger listeners under that age. But whatever age you are, the search for identity is ongoing. It's ongoing. And we're always asking ourselves, who am I? And Jesus offers that. You are a growing person, a learning person. And that is okay. That is what you are to be doing in the temple, asking questions, learning, growing. Amen. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>